Good morning. I too greet you in the name of Christ. And I want to welcome everyone here this morning. We are well filled. The house here is. We have visitors. We have friends, family, people from Milmont. And um, I hope we didn't scare you away this morning, Brother John, but uh, we don't always do that to our visitors. <laughs> So I want to thank you for teaching Sunday School. I would like to uh, say Happy Mother's Day to the mothers here this morning, to all the sisters here this morning. And uh, I trust that as families, as men, as children, sons and daughters, that we are honoring the mothers here, the women here this morning. And... Uh, I had to think as I was um, doing some of my preparation, how would life be with no woman's touch? What do you think, Matt? How would life be with no woman's touch? It would be, I think it would be kind of boring, kind of drab. We'd be missing some of the finer touches. Some men do well with some of those things, but some of us don't. And uh, so I'm really thankful for, for my wife, the woman, in my, the woman in my life. I'm also thankful for the mother that God blessed me with as I was growing up. And uh, she was not a perfect mother, as I'm sure all of you would agree here this morning that you are not either. But um, God doesn't ask you to be perfect mothers. He doesn't ask us to be perfect. He asks us to, to, um, to be what he makes us to be. And it's a work in progress. In women, we find beauty and appreciation for beauty. And I believe that every woman wants to be beautiful. And uh, just an article I have here from... Calvary Messenger. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that. Um, and I'm adapting it a little bit. A little bit changing some of the wording to the way I like it a little better here. But um, Where she gets her jewels. She is decked out in jewels of the most expensive sort. Everyone cannot help but stare and a bit and wonder. Her husband smiles on in satisfaction and with a glow of pride as he watches her. She is not actually a stunning model woman. In fact, she is aging and it shows. She wonders sometimes whether there is anything lovely about her looks at all. But no one really notices this because she has covered all of this so well with her secret. She is truly amazing. Her feminine poise is real, not disgustingly fake with put on airs. Quiet, unassuming confidence seems to be the air she breathes. Her genuine smile warms the hearts of everyone around her. She exhales warmth and compassion. She engages with people, whether they be her own child with a petty, tiresome need, a guest, or a poor stranger. Sharpness, haughtiness, bitterness, and especially fretfulness, the great disfigurements of women everywhere, seem to be foreign to her. How does she do it? When I ask her, she smiles, a tiny smile, 
and pulls a small worn paper from her purse. On it is written what I first think to be an address, but it is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. I realize it is a scripture reference and go quickly to the place in my Bible. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Suddenly I understand there is no ugly fussiness present in her. Every trace of anything that frets her is sold away. Worry and her future, irritation over ruined expectations large and small, all the hurts that people give her, frustration over her own failures, obsession with the horrid lurking impossibilities in her family, her culture, and her society. She has carried the whole box of them to the cross and left it there. This, she says, she practices daily. She has decided to trust and to rest in the complete strength of her shepherd. That is where she has gotten these expensive jewels in exchange for all she is and all she owns. I'm just so grateful to God, she exults, whenever I give him my inadequacy, my imperfection and uselessness, as soon as I set my eyes away from that and onto his great glory, he gives, gives his perfect, lovely, understanding, undeserved beauty. I just thank him. I look at her in wonder, and then I realize her gem is rare. Rare because that path to the cross is difficult, and most women's courage fails before they get there. It is expensive because it is crafted from the trials and hardships which she goes through and yields to the Lord. But it is indeed accessible to anyone, this coveted ornament of a quiet, restful, contented spirit. And maybe your mind goes to someone who you see as a woman who wears such beauty, that beauty of the inner quiet spirit, a surrendered spirit, surrendered to Christ and, and glorying in him. This morning, I want to open my message from a couple of verses in Proverbs 31, and I don't know, after I was thinking down that line, I realized that just last year I used a couple verses from Proverbs 31 for Mother's Day, so um, I hope you can look beyond that, if you remember that, and, and we can glean something again this year. I don't plan to spend the whole morning in Proverbs 31. When you think of Proverbs 31, you probably, your mind goes to the word virtuous, a virtuous woman. And I'm not going to do this this morning, but if I would ask our women here this morning, if you think, if you consider yourself a virtuous woman, uh, to raise your hand, if I would ask you to do that, I probably wouldn't get much response. On the flip side, if I would look over here at the men, and I'm not going to do it either, but if I would ask the men to raise your hand if you think you have a virtuous wife, 
the response would probably be different. Right, man? Okay, I see heads nodding. That's enough. Proverbs 31, 10 through 12 says, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her, so that she shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. I think sometimes, maybe as sisters, you tend to go read on into the chapter, and you, you consider that you, you feel like you can never just quite measure up to the kind of woman that, that uh, the writer of the Proverbs here is describing. Sometimes maybe you think of her as this woman described here as being what you would call a wonder woman who she just has it all together. And I'm not fully sure what to, how to apply all of this, but I do know that we can apply some of these things in practical ways. So going back to the thought of a virtuous woman, that is describing a woman of strength or of moral courage and character. A woman of character, I think we could say. And I believe that any woman can become that. And as I, as I think of how the passage describes this woman, my view of the passage is more a woman who is there for her family, caring for her family, using her resources wisely. He says, who can find a virtuous woman? Who can find a woman of character, of strength, of moral courage? And that is indicating a rarity. A woman of virtue is a rarity. Our world is full of evil women, seductive, manipulative, contentious, self-serving. That's not a rarity. They're out there. But a woman of strength and moral character is hard to find. By the way, I guess we don't have a lot of young single men here this morning, but... Uh, I think this was written to, uh, to a young man. The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. What, my son? What the son? It's, it's introduced to a, a young man. So, yeah, I don't see our young men here this morning. Maybe I'm missing them. But anyways, aside from that, who can find a virtuous woman? A rarity. And this morning, I believe that there are many rare women sitting here this morning. Women of strength, women of moral courage, women of character. And as I looked over here at the men and asked 
ask them what they think about women of, of virtue, however I put that there. I believe that our men understand that we have rare women sitting here this morning. A virtuous woman is priceless. Her price is far above rubies. I think you understand that as well. Yet, often we take it for granted. We don't realize just what we have in the virtuous woman in our life. Many families would love to have a mother as we have here today in mothers. Mothers who are caring for their families. Mothers who are doing their best, who are there and will be there for their family. Back to looking at how sometimes, women, you may get overwhelmed looking at Proverbs 31 and what is described there. Um, sometimes I like just taking a little snippet. I have a couple of pet snippets that I use for my wife. Um, so in, in verse uh, 18 there, one of them, the end of the verse there, her candle goeth not out by night. Oh, so that means she's up working all night long, right? Okay. Our women here, our virtuous women, are up working all night long, right? Not really. But um, if you're like me, men, your wives hear the baby cry sooner than you do. There's times I get up in the morning, and we don't have any babies now, but um, get up in the morning and come to realize that my wife has spent numerous times getting up out of bed to take care of a child that was sick or whatever the case. Uh, sometimes I do hear them, but um, oh, yeah, her candle, it's, it's still burning. She's, she's still aware, you know, even though it's nighttime and sleeping. Yeah, her, she doesn't just turn off the lights and that's the end. We're going to sleep and misses everything. Um, and you can, you can apply others here too, I'm sure. But um, yes. This morning, I um, just encourage us as men and as children to encourage our wives. Satan wants them to be discouraged. And they are busy. They have a lot on their plate. But let's be there to encourage them rather than to maybe pick on some things that don't get done because they don't have time to do it or whatever it may be. A virtuous woman, a few things about a virtuous woman is a, a keeper at home, I believe, caring for the home. Um, we could find that here in Proverbs 31. Titus 2.5 uses that phrase. Uh, the, I believe it says the older women are to teach the younger women to be keepers at home. A virtuous woman is busy, industrious, and cares for her family well. She clothes, feeds, uses her husband's resources wisely. She puts band-aids on the wounds. A virtuous woman sees beyond the service of the day and knows that her home is a mission field. And she recognizes 
recognizes her need and sits at the feet of Jesus. This morning, I just a couple things I would like to look at here. One is that a virtuous woman learns to know her Lord. You can turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10. And we have two women in this passage here. The one who served and the one who sat at the feet of Jesus, Mary and Martha, if you haven't figured it out. Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. Now it came to pass as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, Martha and Mary were sisters here. They were not um, mothers. But we can learn a few things from them. They were, they were um, common women, I think. We have Martha who received Jesus into her house. And we have Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha was careful. She was cumbered, it says. Careful and troubled. Again, Mary chose time at the feet of Jesus. Martha did have a gift for serving guests. And as I thought of that gift of serving guests, um, I haven't heard it around here so much, but growing up, um, I would have heard, maybe it was in the Amish circles more, um, the, the thing of you have guests, you serve seven sweets and seven sours. Is that That's a new thing around here, I guess. But basically, you, you put a spread on. And um, you do it right. And I think maybe Martha was a little bit of this kind of person, that she, she was going to do it right for Jesus. I believe that Mary had a gift for being attentive to others, and she was being attentive to Jesus here. Now, we often maybe tend to be critical, a little critical of Martha. Um, one thing I am going to bring out, Martha received Jesus into her house. I think that was notable, that she received Jesus, welcomed him into the house. And I might add that I'm not sure Jesus was really condemning Martha for serving. But she was cumbered. She was distracted. She was anxious and troubled and maybe overdoing it a little bit. Mary had chosen the quality of sitting and being attentive to Jesus. And I believe Martha and Mary needed each other. They could benefit each other. Teaching each other to be welcoming. Teaching each other to 
sit and listen, to care. In her gift for serving, Martha needed a heart of devotion to God to make her serving meaningful. And I believe that serving others, whether it's family, whether it's guests, whoever it may be, can be a part of being a virtuous woman. If it's done out of a spirit of love. But I would also encourage you women to take time with your Lord. And I'd like to say dedicated time with God is so valuable. Time alone with God. But even as I say that, I acknowledge that there are just different situations here. I realize that we have young mothers. We have, we, we just have a variety here. Young mothers on up to grandmothers. And um, we appreciate each one of you. But sometimes, you're up at night with sleep, sleepless babies, crying babies. Maybe there's sickness. And it's just hard to get up. It's hard to sit down and stay awake for that dedicated time with God. And I believe God understands that. Maybe as you get a little older, as the children get a little older, there's early risers that may not allow for that time alone with God. And sometimes it may need to be an open Bible on the counter. Maybe it's a verse, a motto, or a verse written on the wall, or a verse committed to memory, a song in your heart, a prayer on the run. Somehow I encourage you to try to make God a real part of your day, even if it's not in what we think of as the way we should spend our time in, in devotions. But it can be as we go, as we go about our, as you go about your busy day. I believe that as you walk with God through your day, you are prepared to serve your family. Also, like to think a little bit about our homes as being a mission field. Sometimes, maybe mothers tend to look at fathers going off to work and um, just think it would be nice to, to just get out there and do something and um, maybe you consider yourself stuck at home or maybe you see your husband's going off to a, whatever, a meeting with someone and just wish you could do something important for someone. But the home is a mission field. And I would like to invite you to, to think about a woman from Scripture that we don't read much about, but I think we can learn something from what we see as results of her being a mother. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2 is um, the account of of Amram and Jochebed 
and their little boy Moses. And as I said, we don't read a lot about Jochebed. We do read a lot about Moses, though. In fact, we're going to turn to the heroes of faith a little bit later here. The first ten verses here is the story. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh, unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. So the story here, the story that we're all familiar with, or most of us familiar with from childhood. We have a mother who did a tremendous work in raising her family. We read just a little bit here about how she hid him and how he was found and claimed by the Egyptian princess. And the mother of Moses was hired to nurse him and to raise him to a certain point. And I don't know how long Moses was in his birth home before he went to the palace. Um, we don't know that for sure. But we do know as we look on through Scripture and see how Moses didn't identify with the people of Egypt. Rather, he identified with his people, the Israelites. I believe that there was something that the mother did there that reached, well, let's go to Hebrews 11. Uh, just a couple verses there. Hebrews 11, 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured 
as seeing him who is invisible. So we see there how Jochebed's influence on her son affected Moses and the choices he made, but it didn't stop there. It affected the nation of Israel and brought them deliverance from Egypt. It didn't stop there, though. I was just um, thought about, well, verse 31 here, by faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. The influence of Jochebed went on down, and because of that influence, Rahab and her household was saved from Jericho when, uh, maybe indirectly, and she was um, one of the Israelites, or brought into the Israelites then. In fact, it goes on even further than that. She was also in the lineage of Christ. And I just, I was blessed by that, to think of how a mother's influence, even though it was way on down, and was she there to see it? I don't know, likely not. But um, in fact, it, it affected the race of humanity um, by Rahab being brought into Israel, the people of God, and uh, being in the lineage of Christ. So Jochebed knew she had a mission field, I believe, here. I think she knew that. She knew her time with Moses was short, and she knew that she was sending him into an evil environment, the palace of Egypt. I had to think, women, what about sending your son to the White House? It's kind of the comparison I made. I don't think we'd be too quick to do that, would we? Somehow, Moses' mother sent him to the palace with a deep training in the God of Israel and also with an identity with the people of God. I wonder, did Jochebed tell Moses about God's promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob? I wonder if she told him the story about Joseph and his family coming down to Egypt and how Joseph was sold as a slave into Egypt and his family came down to be saved from the famine. And I wonder if she told Moses about the promise that the people of God, the Israelites, would be brought out of Egypt. As we think of the home, a mission field, you know, we think about how in ministering to other people, we need to get down on their level. And an example, we have Jesus as an example, eating with the publicans. He came down to their level, and he was willing to be um, identified with them in a sense. And I believe that that is important, mothers, to come to the level of your children, to understand what catches their attention. 
I heard a young boy talking recently. And he was saying about what he put in the freezer. Um, one or two things had feathers on them. Um, I'm not sure whatever else uh, it was. And, and I do remember a little bit of that as a boy, some stuff that I put in the freezer. And uh, I don't know if I, I don't know that I asked my mom about it. I think my brother did it, and I, I did it too. And so um, things that you wouldn't really want to eat. And, you know, this young boy is, pr I don't know, he may not grow up saying, my mom was such a good mom because she let me put a starling in the freezer, whatever kind of bird it was. Um, but that's just one small thing. How a mother could get on the level of her child, and even though it wasn't her favorite thing to have in the freezer and definitely needed two bags on it, um, she could, she could try to understand with him a little bit and, and encourage uh, the things he enjoyed. Each one of our children will have choices to make between good and evil. Moses had that choice. Moses had the choice between identifying with the Egyptians or, and, and the pleasures the fun that he could have had as an Egyptian. And he also had the choice of identifying with God's people, Israel. His parents taught him as they did, but then they let him go, and the choice was up to him. And each one of our children will have choices to make between good and evil, but I believe that an influence, a strong influence on how they will choose, not a guarantee, but a godly upbringing with relationship will be a factor to draw them to the right choices. The home provides tremendous opportunities to train for God, and it's not only up to mother the mother to do that. It's not only her job. Fathers, we need to be there supporting. We need to be doing our part. We need to be standing behind and encouraging the mothers in, in their work in the home. And as well, mothers need to come under fathers in teaching and training. That's the biblical order to, um, to be teaching under the fathers in the home. And some of that can be done through Bible stories or other character-building stories, through singing with the children, through conversation, verses on the wall, um, just different, different things that I trust are happening in our homes. And would just encourage you as mothers um, to, to incorporate those things into the daily things of life some of those things can happen when putting a child down to sleep for a nap, um, whatever it may be. Maybe sometimes you don't think you're doing the most important thing, 
mothers by being at home just day after day, day after day, caring for the family. But um, I would like to give you a quote from Mother Teresa that I believe is so true, yet may be so hard to see at times. If you want to change the world, go home and love your family. I believe that there is more truth in that than what we can realize. It may not look stunning. It may not look so absolutely important, but it is absolutely important. It is a mission field. It is a calling that God has given to, to um, you that have been called to motherhood. A mother will have a greater impact on her family than she will have getting out in the crowds. As I mentioned, we have many different stages here this morning. And I, I want to take a few moments to acknowledge those who do not have children. I believe that there is an important, a special place for those who have not been blessed with children. Um, in Romans, Paul is wrapping up uh, the book here and just acknowledging different people who have been a blessing in his ministry. And we don't know a lot about some of these. Um, Romans 16, I believe it's yeah, the last chapter of Romans. The first verse says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Centria, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succorer of many and of myself also. Don't know much about Phoebe here, but she was a blessing to the church. She was, um, I don't know, I'm going to guess she was single, just according to this. It doesn't mention a husband with her. Um, and she was a blessing to Paul in his work. It doesn't say how exactly, but um, Paul was commending her to, to the church. Verse 3, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also unto the churches of the Gentiles. We have Priscilla here, noted right along with, with her husband Aquila. And again, I don't know the situation there, um, but it seems that they had a freedom to go out and minister that um, they probably did not have children with them, or maybe their children were grown. I, I don't know the situation, but we know that that um, they were a blessing to the church. And Priscilla was just noted right along with Aquila. I'm assuming, or I trust, I believe, that she just came in behind him and just served where she could serve. Verse 6, greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. And uh, verse 12, salute Tryphena, and Tryphosa, and um, 
think those are ladies' names. I don't know if they were sisters or who they were. Uh, salute Trephina and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. And it, it lists a number of different names there. There is a work for those who do not have the responsibilities of mothering. There, there is a work that you can be busy in as well. And as I think of that, I think of maybe, um, maybe some of you can think of a special single aunt you had. I, I, think of, I have an aunt who um, was single all her life. And she was the aunt that I learned to know the best. Um, she lived not far from our place. And um, probably influenced me more than I realized. Uh, but I also think of how she had the freedom to be there for some of my cousins who were in a, a less fortunate home. And um, I think she could be a blessing to them in ways that um, her sister, who was married and had a family, couldn't reach out to. Freedom to be that Sunday school teacher um, and impacting children in, in that way or a helper to mothers. And I, I believe that paying attention to children can impact their lives more than you may realize and can be a blessing to them and uh, may be a place that is not as noticed and yet so valuable. And so I just want to encourage all of our sisters here this morning just to, to be what God has called you to be to be used whether you feel that pressure, that daily pressure of, of the children and um, answering their questions and dealing with the squabbles and um, getting behind on your work and staying awake at night and um, washing clothes and washing clothes that might already be clean but ended up in the wash again and just all the different things that can happen, you, you know, in a day's time. But remember that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And um, I don't know. I, I guess I, I look back, just thinking of my growing up years, and I don't really pick out a lot or specific things that this is what made my mom a good mom because she did this or because she did this. But my mom was a good mom, and there were just a lot of little things that she did that were a blessing in my life. And most of all, I believe I have a mother that cared, and she was doing her best for the sake of us as a family. And so I just want to encourage each of you as sisters just to continue on in the work that God has called you to. Let's kneel for prayer.